Hey friends, in today's episode, I get to interview Shova Phillips, a champion for sustainability and inclusivity in the fashion industry. Shova has successfully started two businesses, one being a sustainable line of nude intimates called Proclaim, and the other she co-founded called Entodo, which is a craft fair that celebrates diversity and inclusivity by bringing visibility to BIPOC creators. Shova is a total powerhouse and has so much wisdom and inspiration to share with us on how she successfully built these two businesses. So let's get into my interview with Shova Phillips. Hey, Shova, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Yes. Okay, so Shova, I don't know if you remember, but I remember when we met it yeah. was we collaborated with another brand. We had a pop up in Brentwood, and that was fun. <laughs> Very <laughs> interesting experience. Yeah. But I remember when we did that, I think you were just getting started at that yeah. point. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's so incredible to see how much you've grown so far and everything that you've been able to do with Proclaim. And so I just want to go back and if you can take me back to how you started and how the idea for the brand came about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we were baby brands when we first met yeah. <laughs> so long ago. But so I started Proclaim. It launched in 2017, but the whole idea was that I couldn't find a nude bra that matched my skin tone as, you know, a woman with brown skin. And it must have been like 2015 when I was starting to think about this. And I was, it just baffled me that it was like the year 2015 and this was still an issue. So I was working full time at that point and nights and weekends, I was kind of researching what, what would a solution for this look like? And I think I realized pretty quickly or like immediately that if I was going to solve this problem of not having inclusive nudes for women of color, there was kind of a bigger issue of just the fashion industry in general exploiting people of color for cheap labor, you know, ruining their environments, whether it's through dumping chemicals or, you know, the, the way that they treat the land that a lot of these these garments are currently produced. So I think I, I knew initially, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this in a way that's sustainable and ethical and uplifts communities of color rather than exploit them, mm-hmm. um, which is, I feel like, the way that the current fashion industry is set up. So it, it almost made it like easier because I had a clear path and vision to what I wanted to accomplish. So within about two years, I had found a manufacturer. So at the time I was living in San Francisco. So we did all of our manufacturing for that first launch in San Francisco using sustainable fabrics. I launched with one bra. It came in three nude colors. Mm-hmm. And immediately, so it started my Instagram account about six months before that and turned on the website and immediately saw sales. And then I knew like, oh, like people, people get this, people are responding. But I knew it was like onto something and creating something that obviously women needed. Hey, friends, I'm going to briefly cut into this interview here because as I was editing this podcast episode of this interview with Shova, I realized that I wanted to expand more on something that she said if you notice, she said that as soon as she launched her site, that she instantly started seeing sales. And I didn't really expand on this in the interview. And so I thought that I would not be a good interviewer if I didn't go back for more context and ask her how this happened. Because a lot of times new brands struggle to see sales immediately. So I got in touch with Shova and I asked her if she could provide more context to this. And here's what she said. 
When I started, I was lucky in that it was a lot easier to grow organically through Instagram. I started an Instagram account about six months before launching Proclaim, posting pics on my feed about my focus on inclusive nude bras and sustainable manufacturing with some behind the scenes content as well. I was able to find and engage with most of our early customers through that account, which linked to a landing page on my website where I was also collecting emails to notify folks when we went live. I think today it may not be via Instagram, but finding your community in real life or other platforms like TikTok is still important to developing that base and growing an email list before launching. I also launched with just one product, a bra and three nude colors. And I think focusing on community building rather than extensive product lines is another key. It gives you the flexibility to incorporate your customers' feedback into your assortment as you grow. You can create products more tailored to the customer you are building a relationship with. Okay, now back to our episode. So... I guess fast forward to now. So that was six years ago almost. And now we've expanded from, you know, just one bra to bras, underwear, loungewear, like tanks, sub dresses. And then we've also done swim collections as well. Wow. And did you have a traditional fashion industry background? Not necessarily. So in school, I'd studied business. So I studied marketing. And then I started my career path just a um, kind of traditional corporate route. So my first job was at Target Corp. And then I worked for Del Monte Foods, which is a CPG company. And really, I think I'm grateful that I kind of went that route too. I think having that business background has been super helpful Mm -hmm. in starting my own company and knowing kind of that business side. And then I've learned the design aspects as I've gone and working with experts in their field to bring these products to life. Yeah. So I'm curious, since your background wasn't traditionally in the fashion industry, what were some hurdles that you faced trying to like navigate how to get these products produced? Well, let's see. There were a lot of hurdles. I think I learned a lot (laughs) from mistakes that I made. I'd say when you're starting, so that one big issue I, I faced, I'd say two things. First of all, people not taking you seriously. And I remember I went to meet with, I want to say it was a fabric mill. And they were like, oh, we get, a, we get a ton of influencers that want to start clothing lines. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not an influencer, <laughs> but it's fine if you are. Like you're putting down this whole industry of hardworking people. Right. And it was just that kind of dismissive attitude of like, oh, this young woman doesn't know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. So that and then also just being a small business, every, you know, there's a lot of components when it comes to a bra. There's hardware, there's the fabric, you know, there's the threads, there's the elastics, and you have to meet a minimum with each of these suppliers in order to make a, to purchase these, these components. So I think figuring out that maze of like meeting the minimum, creating only using sustainable materials um, was kind of a challenge, I think for that first year. And even now it's still something we face as a small business, trying to figure out that navigate that, that balance of meeting minimums and working with brands that meet your um, sustainable and ethical practices that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And how were you able to find that first factory? Like what type of research did you do or how did you navigate that process? Yeah. So for my first collection, I wanted to be hands-on. So I knew I wanted to make everything in San Francisco where I was living at the Mm -hmm. time. So I worked with the local, I guess you'd call it like like a 
what are they? They're like a local manufacturing kind of contingent called SF Made. I actually don't even know if they're around anymore, but SF Made was like their local industry community. And I reached out to them to see if there was anyone locally that that does what I'm looking for, the type of manufacturing I'm looking for. And they recommended somebody that I ended up working with. Oh, that's amazing. You, yeah. It sounds like you had a lot of it, a lot more of an easier time with that than a lot of people, because I know it can be so hard to find, you know, a lot of people are like gatekeepers in this industry and like no one wants to share that yeah. information. So it's so nice that you were able to find that so seamlessly. I don't know if it was yeah. easy, but... <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, I will say I have encountered that. I, I think I would, I had reached out to just like local designers and brands that I felt like weren't as open about sharing who they were working with. Yeah. Uh, but I think I was lucky to have that resource that pointed me in the right direction. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so when we talk about like the sustainable sustainability aspect of your business, and I know I love how it's so important to you not only you know, when we're talking about materials, but in a whole. So what are some ways that you incorporate that into your business model? Yeah, I guess. So for me, with every decision I make, I'm always trying to think of how can I do this more sustainably? So the fabrics are one thing. And I try to use, I think for me, I don't think there's one solution when it comes to fabrications and fibers that are you that we use. So we've worked with a variety of sustainable fabrics, including organic cotton, hemp, cupro, um, what else have we used? You Tencels, guys have Modal too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tencel has been a huge one. So yeah, so like being open to different types of sustainable fabrics has been something that I've focused on. I don't think there's one solution when it comes to sustainability. And then, you know, trying to find local suppliers. So we've worked with local fabric mills in LA that has kind of helped reduce our carbon footprint. You know, our cutting and sewing is local as well. Again, reduces our carbon footprint. Our, like we kind of have this hyper-local supply chain where the fabric mill, the cutting and sewing, and the fulfillment is all happening within this like 30-mile radius, which I think helps um, to meet kind of that sustainability aspect that we're going for. And then just every component, like I'm, I try not to use plastic in our hang tags when we were doing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 100% recycled paper, using a lot of people attach labels with like a plastic component, but we used right. um, hemp twine to attach the labels. Um, we use compostable packaging. So just, I think every time we're trying to acquire or make something, we think about what the most sustainable options are. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think like as the years go on, I feel like I see more options being developed and coming up to be able for us to use. So that's really encouraging too, because, you know, I feel like it was very limited when we talk about sustainability and like materials and fabrics that we can use, but things are being developed all the time. But even with that, like, I guess in the beginning, what were some challenges with that? Like just trying to exclusively being a, be a sustainable line and getting the resources that you needed. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was the minimums. I think meeting minimums has always been challenging, especially when I know I want to do these inclusive nude colors. So I have a set amount of custom colors that I want to create as well. So each component has to match those colors as well. So figuring out like what has to be dyed, what I can find like in a stock color within mm-hmm. that color range has been was always challenging, I think. I think as I grow and I'm able to meet higher minimums, I think that's been helpful. And I think like you'd mentioned, like there is a lot of innovation happening in this industry. And I think when you're a really small brand, like when I started, I found it challenging to find 
people that were doing that were leading the industry in innovation and creating new materials and new fibers um it's hard to to get their attention or to even work with them so i think that's something i focus on is developing those partnerships with with groups and organizations that are um and making innovations and strides in this area to partner and hopefully develop products with them yeah i want to touch a little bit more on that how important has like relationship building and networking been for you i'd say it's 100% 100% made my business. I think no it's so way. important, which I think <laughs> is actually like when I moved to LA. So within that first almost less than a year, I moved to Los Angeles and I moved all my manufacturing locally to Los Angeles as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like since moving here, I have found like a community like yourself of other local sustainably minded designers. And that has made all the difference. I found everyone is super welcoming and helpful when it comes to sharing resources you know, whether it's somebody for cutting, sewing, a fabric mill, where to find some hard to source component, you know, there's somebody on a text thread or a group chat that can either knows or can point you to somebody that does know the answer. So that has been, I think, life-changing and absolutely been something that has changed the trajectory of this business. Yeah, I'd say it's it's everything. (laughs) The community and networking is everything when it comes to being a small business owner. Yeah, I just spoke about this recently, this idea of collaboration over competition. And I think a lot of times as designers, especially can find themselves in like this island on their own, trying to like build these businesses. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be competitive and all of that. And yeah, I just find, you know, we we've been a part of like a group thread that's been super helpful. And you know, people are happy to share resources and happy to help each other out and happy to, you know, like and comment on people's posts and just help in any way possible. And so, yeah, I hope that this is encouraging for someone to like, you know, get out of your own little space, your own echo chamber and, you know, make friendships, network, make partnerships, because I think it's so important. I agree. And I think it can be scary. Like I've made a lot of friends just from like cold DMing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And some of those like, you know, brand owners, designers, founders are some of my best friends now. So wow. I think I think it's, you know, getting over you just have to put yourself out there. Exactly. Like I think it's kind of getting you over your own fears. Exactly. To, to make those connections. Well, I think this is a great segue into talking about how you and some of those designers became friends. And we're able yeah. to build something oh, yeah. aside from your your business with Proclaim. You also started a, a pop-up market, a craft fair, if you would, mm-hmm. with some other designers that you have become friends with in this industry. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we started a craft fair called Intildo and it started really, so there's, uh, four designers, including myself, um, mm-hmm. that are founders of, of Intodo. And it really it was all of us seeing a need for more visibility for BIPOC designers. We'd all participated in marketplaces and different pop-up events where we felt like there wasn't good representation in diverse founders. And so we wanted to bring that that perspective to to a pop-up. So I, I think it was, it was honestly like conversations we were all having on the side with each other. And then it just kind of came together one day where I think we were on, it was during COVID and it was like a group chat. We were talking, I think first somebody kind of joked like, oh, we should do something about this. 
And I'm kind of laughing like, oh, wait, we should do something. Like, let's let's do it. Let's make a pop-up. So it was, so since it was during COVID, we, our first pop-up was a virtual pop-up. So it was bringing together, together BIPOC bonded brands in an online marketplace for about a week in December. And then that next year, things are a little bit more open. So we had our first in real life event in Silver Lake and it's grown from there. Now we're in a bigger location in Boyle Heights. Uh, we have about 120 vendors that participate each year. We have thousands of um, people come through to shop and support um, these vendors. And it's become something that we, like, we all look forward to. We plan for it all year. Um, mm. It's a labor of love that we all kind of put into knowing that this is like something we all believe in and some like kind of the the change that we want to see in this industry. Yeah, I love that so much because not only are you creating opportunities for your own brand, you're creating opportunities for other brands that are coming up like you. And I think that's so amazing. And we both know we've done tons of these craft fairs and pop-up yes. markets. And I'm like you said, you see this need and you you solve the need by doing one for yourself. So I yeah, love that we, so much. Yeah, we just decided to kind of do it. It's a, it's a lot of work, I will say that. I bet. It's, it's a whole production. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's something that we're all just very proud of. And it's it's the best vibe, I'd say. Like, I think between the vendors all getting together and networking and creating like lifelong friendships, customers coming and feeling like seen and comfortable and represented and like they're supporting their community. And I think that it's like just a there's nothing like it, I feel like. Yeah. So for brands who are looking to to showcase at a craft fair like Intodo, what are some mm -hmm. things that you guys are looking for in the brands that you guys onboard and allow to showcase there? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, a, a unique design perspective is one. And we're always, I think the hardest part is always trying to curate a variety of types of brands. So across, you know, women's apparel, men's apparel, unisex, home goods, jewelry, food, all, like every, all these CPG products, like we're trying to make sure we have a variety. So when customers come, they can almost hit everyone on their shopping list because this is a holiday market, find something, a little bit of something for everyone. Yeah. And can you just touch on a little bit? Because I feel like, you know, the whole idea of craft fairs and pop-up markets, sometimes when you are a new designer, like this whole concept is totally new to you. And yeah. it can feel like a big investment at the time. And like, you know, is this going to pay off? So I'm wondering if you can touch on a little bit about the opportunity that comes with showcasing at one of these fairs. Yeah. So, so as a vendor, you pay for your booth space. So we have a variety of, we do, and most crafters do have a variety of, of like what type, what size imprint you want. So for like a larger space, if you have larger product or want to bring a lot of product to the show, or you could share booths, which makes it more cost effective. And if you're testing an other new product or a new brand, I think that's an easy way to kind of see if this if this sprouts for you. And then it does, I will say it takes a lot of time as, when you participate as a vendor, because, you know, for me, for example, for apparel, we, I have to tag everything to make sure that as a direct-to-consumer brand, I'm not necessarily tagging, having price tags and everything, but to get ready for these shows, you're tagging, you're putting price tags, you're putting the sizing on there so people can easily shop your brand and kind of thinking through when somebody comes to my space, what that looks like. Because, you know, as a D2C, we're usually like selling on our website and mm -hmm. selling in real life is like a whole different thing. So yeah. thinking through like making it uh, easy to shop, aesthetic, like having flowers and different things like that. 
And then, you know, enticing customers to come in, like whether it's sales pricing or, you know, different deals like that. So it, it takes, I think, a little bit of planning to to participate and like make sure you ha- you're you optimizing your space. And then, you know, it's, it's long days. So like I, our show is, I think, seven or eight hours. So whether you're doing it yourself or you have a friend or an employee helping you, like planning out your staffing for the event and then setting up and then tearing down is also kind of a, a separate component too. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, but I had to say it on like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> but it's also really fun. So I think the thing I'm not touching on is, is what you get out of it. Ooh, yeah. So with ours, I think one thing we try to d- differentiate ourselves with and one thing that's important to us, because I think we all come from the, the founders all come from the brand side is that community building aspect. So we've had the last two years, we've had our sponsors, who are, you know, great brands that kind of align with their values, hold these dinners leading up to the event Mm. where um, local brands are able to come and like have this nice dinner, get to know each other, get to meet each other because the days of the event can be very chaotic. And it's a time for all of us to come together and meet and like make those connections in a kind of relaxed setting. Uh, So I think that's been really important to us and something we really want to expand upon as we grow is, is that community building aspect and creating the space for all of our vendors. Yeah. And I think that's at the core of what you guys do too, you know, the community and it gives the opportunity for that networking. But aside from that too, like, I think that, you know, when we talk about craft fairs, whether it be in Todo or any other craft fair that aligns with your brand, it's a great revenue stream as well, you know, for your business to get offline. And also, I think just to get that customer feedback, I don't know about you, but the first one that I did, I'm like, wow, this is so awesome. Like I can actually see people trying on the clothes, see how they're wearing, get so much customer feedback so I can go back and, you know, change some things, make some amendments and make the product work even better. So I think that's an opportunity too. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I think as we have rare chances to be in front of customers as mostly direct to consumer brands that are online. So I think that is like the one opportunity, like the few opportunities you have to like interact with customers, get to know them, just mm-hmm. even just getting to know what more about them. So you're able to like create products better that meet their needs. But like you're saying, yeah, fit, sizing, seeing what colors or patterns people are drawn to. And you could have a conversation like what would they like to see? And that can help inform like how, what direction you're going to go as a business in general. Yeah, uh, you really and just observing, just seeing like what how people are shopping, I think is super helpful, like invaluable as a business to see that. Yeah, totally. Okay, Shova. So out of all of these amazing things that you're doing, like you are like the culmination of make good fashion, like all the way around. It's like <laughs> your brand. So I'm curious, what out of all of these amazing things that you're doing is something that you're most proud of? Oh, man, I think it's honestly just starting. I think starting a business is incredibly hard. Well, I'll say starting and then sticking with it. Right, right, right. I think the first step of starting is like, there's a lot of self-doubt, I think, that goes into it. I think I think for me, it took me a while to realize that I was kind of like afraid of failure is the right word, but kind of afraid of that unknown of what could happen if this didn't work out. And I almost mm-hmm. didn't even let myself, my mind go there. Like I just knew somehow internally that this was going to work out. Yeah. So just like putting that like that faith into this whole process and then sticking with it. I think it's there's the thing I learned about being an entrepreneur is there's so many ups and downs. It's a roller coaster and I've gotten better about celebrating those like highs. I think I used to like it would happen and I would just move on and yeah. moving on. It's the next problem solving thing I have to do. But like 
taking time. Like when I launch a new product now, I'll like take that day off or not that day, mm. a few hours off and I'll like go out to a nice lunch and like just really make sure that I'm celebrating like this accomplishment. And then the lows, because there are lows. And I think just knowing that they're coming and that they're going to pass, I've gotten to that part of being a business owner now. So just like not getting too low when it gets low and knowing that it's there, it's not the end of the world. I think I used to think like, oh my gosh, this is it. This business is over. And yeah. that's <laughs> always a solution. There's always going to be another way to get through this. Yes. That's such a healthy approach. Like definitely need to celebrate. It can be so easy to like, you know, you experience the high and then you just let it pass and you're like, okay, on to the next, on to the next. And I think being intentional about taking that time to just sit and enjoy and to like bask in this accomplishment is so important because then I feel like it it helps you not to burn out as quick you know Um, so that's so good I'm gonna take a little page from your book because I definitely don't do that yet yeah (laughs) like a tiny little ritual like when something good happens that you like make sure you acknowledge it yeah no that's amazing and so I think that was already a piece of an encouragement but I'm curious if you have any other pieces of encouragement that you would give aspiring fashion entrepreneurs I know we need a lot so (laughs) let me think I guess I think for me especially people that are trying to be in the sustainability space Mm -hmm. I think it can be intimidating and like you're trying to do something in a perfect way when at the end of the day there's no perfect solution I think for anything that we're trying to do I think there's just there's the journey of trying to always do better and I think with that mindset you'll accomplish more rather than kind of getting into like just before the start line and just trying to like get something that's you know perfectly sustainable or perfectly perfectly ethical there there's no such thing as perfection Mm -hmm. I think it's just taking the steps towards going on that path yeah that's so good that takes a lot of pressure off of a lot of people (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because I think I even I put that pressure on myself. It took me a while to launch even because I was trying to perfect everything. And I, yeah. at one point I realized like, oh, there this I just need to put this idea out into the world. It's not it's never gonna be perfect. Yes. You just set a lot of people free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> okay, Shoba. So where can we find you for both proclaim and in todo? Yeah, okay. So Instagram is probably the best place to find us and follow the journey. So proclaim is where proclaim W E A R proclaim and then Intodo is Intodo.us. That's I N T O D O dot US. And they can also apply to be vendors at the uh, fair on the website, right? Yep. I I should know this, but I don't know the open <laughs> up applications, but it's in spring sometime. So if you sign up for emails on the website or follow us on Instagram. We'll always make those announcements there. Amazing. Oh my gosh, Shoba, you've been so amazing. I feel like this was like a little masterclass in a <laughs> few 30 minutes. I'm like so inspired. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and just for blessing us with all your wisdom and sharing a little bit about your journey. Thank you so much for having me. You had such great questions. This was such a good conversation and like, like we were saying earlier, like a good reminder of why we're doing this. Yes, yes, we need it. All right, Shova, have a good one. You too. Thank you. If you are so inspired to create a sustainable brand after listening to Shova's interview today, I have an amazing resource for you. I've compiled a list of amazing sustainable fabrics and techniques so that you can begin exploring textiles that you can use to incorporate sustainability into your brand. Oftentimes, as designers, we can feel so limited or uninformed about which textiles are actually sustainable. So this guide is going to help you out with that. 
all you have to do is head over to makegoodfashion.com slash ethical sourcing. Again, that's makegoodfashion.com slash ethical sourcing, or just check the show notes for the link. Thanks for tuning in to Make Good Fashion. I hope you found this episode helpful and inspiring as you build your fashion business. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review. Remember that building an impactful fashion business takes time and effort, but it's so worth it. So keep pushing forward and don't forget to make good fashion. Good fashion.